Herr General, die 5. Infanterie Division und die 4. Taktische Jagdfliegersgruppe aus den, wie sagen Sie, Staaten Zellensus unter Ihr Kommando. Thank you, General Steele. General Schulze, I hereby pass operational control of the 5th Infantry Division elements, 4th Tactical Fighter Wing elements, uh, to you for employment in the Central Region Autumn Forge Series exercise. Thank you, sir. General Steele, Colonel Roger, I direct that the 5th Infantry Division and the 4th Tactical Fighter Wing participate in the Autumn Forge exercises to be held in the Central Region. 5th Infantry Division will receive further instructions from Commander Central Army Group and 4th Tactical Fighter Wing will be directed by Commander Allied Air Forces Central Europe. Thank you. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. I'm Sean Glennis and I'm here with my co-host Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Hey, Sean, coming to you live and direct from the Tiddlywink factory. That's pretty good. Um, I was trying to, trying to think of something, uh, but I couldn't. So I'm glad that you picked up the pieces. Um, we are here to discuss Maneuver today, Wiseman's 13th film from 1979. Um, and we uh, were able to talk with it uh with filmmaker Jessica Kingdon. Um, on the second half of the episode, the uh, filmmaker behind Ascension, um, which you have uh, maybe heard as the Oscar nominated for nonfiction film this last year, at this last year's Oscars, um, but is a fantastic film. And, and anybody who uh, has been enjoying this podcast, I'm sure will have a lot of interest in Ascension. So if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. But um, look forward to that, but, uh, yeah, you want to get into maneuver? Oh, uh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Sure. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. I really here threw this to... on you. <laughs> Wait, we're talking about what? <laughs> um, yeah, no, let's, let's do it. A lot to cover. I mean, it, it just right off the bat, it was really interesting coming off of Sinai field mission and there being like two things available about it, how much there was written about this film, which I yeah. think, you know, in, in Weissman's body of work, I would say is, is largely overlooked overlooked or under considered um at at least contemporarily um but but it it was refreshing to to have all these resources at hand to engage with this time yeah and we'll definitely get into those uh pieces in depth um to set the table this is you mentioned sinai field mission this is uh the end of a trilogy of uh americans out of context or remote uh americans in the military uh, with Canal Zone and Sinai Field Mission. Um, this is also the beginning, ground zero, of uh, Wiseman's collaboration with cinematographer John Davy, the great John Davy. Um, and this film was edited down from 50 hours of film and uh, it uh, to, to two hours, just short of two hours, I believe. And uh, it aired... Uh, at the end of March 1980 on public television. 
and there was like some kind of scheduling snafu or something about the way it was released on public television i think that the weissman was annoyed about oh yeah um like like it went out uh, uh you know it, it went some out stations that, yeah exactly i think it, it started at like 10 p.m because i think because of some of the language used mm. um and so not a lot of people uh obviously like it wasn't it wasn't given a prime spot on, on like a sunday night too yeah, yeah yeah right yeah. um because there's like some cursing and some like you know some uh sexual images and language um uh, but uh, I think it's worth noting that this came out the same year as Apocalypse Now, Francis Ford Coppola's beloved classic about the Vietnam War. But uh, worth noting because they're both very much about uh, they they both indulge in absurdity. I, I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say. Well, and and also, I mean, interesting to think about. You know, a few a few writers uh, noted that, that that connection, but for me, it was really th- interesting to think about like Hearts of Darkness and uh coppola's just trials of like producing a made-up war you know for his his own purposes um and the ways and the parallels between like his creation of a fake war and and nato's creation of a fake war here and performance of war and it's almost like you know uh weissman made the same film but just got the military to do all that labor for him (laughs) and he just pointed the camera their way that's a that's a really good call um that would make a fascinating double bill watch this in hearts totally yeah um so this is a this is a a maneuver uh i believe it's called operation autumn forge um and we see these troops fly out from fort polk to uh germany um to do these war games um as one uh, French blog I found put it, uh, Wiseman found a way to do war reporting without the risks of war reporting, which is kind of funny. Um, not saying that that's actually what he, you know, that was the intention, but he was kind of able to do that uh, without risking his life. Well, we, we talked about like basic training, you know, sort of sensing this desire to like make a Vietnam movie uh, to some degree. And I think... We've also talked about how Vietnam reverberates through all of these early films in various ways, and I think this is sort of the capstone of that period, mm-hmm. and in like much the same way that Apocalypse Now was attempting to like process that whole era for for the modern times, I think you know all of these films have been processing Vietnam, but this is sort of uh, uh, the last, uh, time Weissman is sort of explicitly, I think, dealing with its, its reverberations before moving on to some different territory. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's get into some of the contemporaneous reviews that you mentioned. Um, I have the, uh, there's a time article by Gerald Clark, um, which, uh, has a positive tone without being really outspoken one way or the other, but Clark makes a, a connection between um, the Army's effort to duplicate the real thing and, and Wiseman's like CV documentary approach, which is nice to see. Just like sort of just make just just seeing that connection made in a uh, big publication is, is nice. And he makes some note of like sort of the dry comedy inherent in some of the the troops' observations. But did you have anything on that Time article? Well, it was interesting. You know, later we got into it with Jessica about kind of meaning making and and the openness of this 
style of, of documentary filmmaking uh, to to interpretation. And I just noted, uh, Clark said that for the most part, they seem also to be intelligent and hardworking, uh, talking <laughs> about the soldiers, which is not the impression I got <laughs> yeah. watching the film. So I, I was just kind of like, what? Like, where did yeah. you get that? You I'm know? not sure either. <laughs> Uh, there's a Variety article, which I don't think offers very much. Overall, pretty positive, but the reviewer had trouble with the pacing. You know, I think he was, like, bored at times, but not a yeah. whole lot revealing in that. Simo. Um, well, I, the the thing I noted about that one is they're making the exact opposite point of Clark and the timepiece, uh, hearkening back to this great sequence we get early on of, of a news report Um at the base. There's been a lot about the dropping off the educational levels of the recruits. Your perspective on that? Uh, as I said, yes, uh, maybe the education level is dropping and we're having to change our, our way of thinking and maybe get back to the basics again in training new recruits in the Army. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, we have, to, we have to be very flexible and be able to, uh, to adapt to that changing situation. Do you think it's a reflection of society as a whole? Yes, I do. Uh, with the volunteer army, I still feel we're getting a, a good cross-section of American society. We may not be getting as, as many college graduates as we did with the draft, but we're still getting a, a good cross-section, and I think uh, it's very representative. Which is something the film is kind of uses as a touchstone throughout, um, and, and Simo noted uh, that nothing recorded by John Davies' camera serves to disprove the truth of that. Uh, so yeah so taking you know getting the exact opposite message as as clark in the timepiece that you know the 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 makeup of the army as as shown in maneuver is um you know uh, uh deteriorated in some mm-hmm. sense um yeah, that's funny i i think that the most uh revealing of the uh like three reviews like three kind of like basic reviews was this uh, Boston Globe, uh, William Henry's review for the Boston Globe, uh, which he, he probably puts the film in context with Canal Zone and, and mm-hmm. Sinai Field Mission. Um, and he's clearly a fan of Wiseman. He says his, his films uh, prosper from serious attention and is trying to give it that. Um, but before like going deeper into the, in, into his review, he, he says, uh, that uh, the Paul Simon song that we get mm-hmm. uh, slip sliding away um, while acting as background noise also comments on the, the moral force <laughs> our country has lost. Um, but uh, he, he makes a very astute, I thought, and concise observation. Uh, he says, in Maneuver, there's, there's no war, but there is the illusion of war and the memory of World War's past and the soldiers' sure belief in war to come. Um, which... I, I just thought that that captured like the the essence of the film, like what's always swirling in the ether of like the whole thing is like this, this like triangle of like loaded meaning, um, like the farce of like playing war during peacetime, um, like the echoes of World War Two that we see throughout. And also like this assumption or like willingness to go back into war again. Mm, yeah. I mean, thinking about it in connection with, basic training you know there's that line about 
how you know even all your favorite sports teams uh, aren't undefeated like the american military is mm-hmm. and here we are post vietnam right and that notion is just completely blown up and you know along with vietnam you know watergate and everything else that was giving americans in the 70s this this disillusionment about their country and and the culture and everything they've kind of been taught about what America is that would lead into sort of the intense reactionary response of the Reagan era. Um, but like, you know, this, this is dealing with that, you know, what, what, what is the kind of headspace and morale of, uh, an army that suffered this kind of humiliating loss, right? Even today, people speak about like farmers, uh, defeating, you know, the, the greatest power in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, so, so everything here, I think has this sort of air of, of being diminutive of, 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 you know, past glories lost and, and like, sort of uh uh meandering i guess i mean the thing that's really interesting about this film and we we love to talk about like relating weissman films to to genre narrative filmmaking um is like the way that weissman creates expectations based on those sorts of films and then subverts them entirely mm-hmm. in in a way that i think underscores this kind of message uh, so like, you know, we, early on, we get this, this, uh, cold opening sequence, right. Kind of introducing us to soldiers and, and, you know, they're sleeping babes on an airplane, basically, you know, the, the sort of innocence idea. And like, um, uh, so we think kind of like, okay, these are the people we will be following. You know, these are the people going off to war, uh, but we don't have and say like, you know, like, like any number of war films, we don't get ever get, this sort of like platoon of relatable characters, you know, we don't oh, get sure. like sort of like an idealistic, uh, plucky young recruit. And we don't get like this, like muscly guy with his sleeves ripped off. Who's going to like go off the deep end and start shooting civilians at some point, you know, it's just sort of like, uh, uh, people like we'll get in any Weissman film, uh, uh, acting under an institution, but like, you know, there was a lot written too about like anti-climax here mm-hmm. uh, in the film, but just throughout, I think Weissman is drawing on the vernacular of war cinema, war narrative war cinema, and then showing why it's silly or ridiculous way to to talk about and and present uh, these events and ideas uh, through their subversion. For sure, um, yeah, and I, I well, I can't uh, well. Just keep going with this uh, William Henry Boston Globe thing. I can't tell if he spent time with Wiseman, but like for the review because he, like he mentions in vivid description like Wiseman's like Boston office, and then also right. like qu- quotes him both like formally and informally throughout, but doesn't really like directly say like I talked to Wiseman about his yeah. movie. Uh, but one of the di- direct quotes is that. Wiseman called Maneuver a sequel to, to high school and basic training because as Wiseman says, and this is one of the, you know, he puts it in quotations, it shows the next step in the development of those roles and values that enable us all to speak so comfortably about killing large numbers of people. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, is a remarkable quote. Like, we've both interviewed him before and, like, consumed, like, countless of his interviews throughout, like, his career. 
And I just can't imagine him saying anything like that now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so declarative and, like, pointed, um, which I know, like, when we had Labuza on for a scene, like, he kind of mentioned that, too. Like, sometimes you find something like that in these earlier reviews. But um, uh, where it's just, like, so direct in assigning uh, personal, like, context and, and meaning. Um, and, uh, but but I, I think the quote speaks to something, like, important about how we can view Wiseman's films generally both like maneuver and just just on a general level that like as much as he likes to say he's only representing something specifically like specific to what he sees he is also thinking in general terms like Mm -hmm. he is thinking about general representation that we can extrapolate from his films about like each subject subject or institution or sometimes between them like we talked about with the symbolic continuity between like primary and welfare and meat and how they all like mm-hmm. relate to each other. Like, like he is thinking in these general terms, but um, you know, like juvenile court isn't just about like this Memphis juvenile court. Right. Um, or like domestic violence isn't just about the women in this shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something always like broader going on. Um, but also I, Lastly, on this quote, um, it, it's interesting to re- in in regard to maneuver as it is like to high school. Like thinking about that film in terms of like seeing children indoctrinated with with values that like desensitize the idea of murder and um, well, like I feel like everything comes back to meat, which falls in between <laughs> um, basic training and, and this, but uh, a film like about mass murder that that arrived during our bicentennial, but. Um, just thinking about the comfort in maneuver um, that he's saying, like, uh, why are these people so comfortable talking about murder, like, as they're playing this this war game? Yeah, I think was was it Barry Keith Grant who was bringing in this concept of kind of play um, mm-hmm. to it, and like like the idea of war as like kind of this. Uh, natural conclusion of the idea of player like the most extreme end of the spectrum right and it's like you know i think i think the goal uh could be argued to be uh to to if if there should ever be an actual war for these soldiers to like put them in this sort of relaxed headspace that they experience during the maneuver right where there's they don't feel this actual sense of danger um but are going about performing their their duties and functions as needed um but like like the the idea of war as play and as a game is is completely productive for for the military's aims right and it's also you know like happened in sinai field mission it's like the the principal frame through which uh like the generals and officers uh talk about this whole situation right we get like referees we -hmm. have like teams and wins uh you know points yeah Yeah. for for kills right yeah a kill is a point you know Uh towards winning so i mean like all this language just serves to uh like just kind of lower the the temperature on what's actually happening here and 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 bring it into a space of the routine which is like you know pretty uh despicable i would write like Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) so like like which which in 
just goes to in, uh, uh, engender like like the sort of talk we get on the tanks that we talk about with Jessica later. You know, like okay, go ahead. Right, just cut here. Right, just cut here. Straight. Take it easy on the sidewalk. I don't okay. need to take any more pictures. Out. I'm a little young, you know. But... Even the young one looks good. Yep. I swear. No, well, she's in a Volkswagen, man. She's nice looking. Oh, yeah? All of them are nice looking. <laughs> Even the 13 year olds. Okay, you're coming to a close intersection. You what? You're coming up here to a close intersection. Well, not a close one, but it's, I got a truck halfway on that other side. You got it made right where you at. Only thing we really messed up is the sidewalk. That's because of the cars that pulled up, you know, in front of us that we couldn't avoid. They all wouldn't be out on the street. That's what you call a greeting coming through town. That's with an S on it. In a way, I wish I was one of the soldiers who won World War II. Really? I bet you they had a maid here in Germany. God, dog. Probably got anything they wanted. Yep. <laughs> Probably didn't have to ask for it either. This is all the same institution and the same uh, ideology at work here. Uh, the same, the same one that that speaks of killing as points that as like thirteen-year-olds uh, on the street as like potential conquests of war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um... The the one thing um, I will say uh, about the Boston Globe piece um, that was interesting, you know, as a contemporaneous writing was uh, a quote um he says it's it is bleak black and white letting us know we will be informed not seduced and i think that is the seduction of it right (laughs) like like that's the seduction in all of weissman is is kind of giving you through the aesthetic like like this idea of what this kind of film will be and then uh, pulling the rug out from under you, right? Like, I, I think it's very much seduction and not information. Well, and the way that he informs you is seducing, right? Like, where you have to find information through uh, indirect conversation or address um, sure. is also part of the seduction. For sure. Um, there's another, the the New Yorker piece, um, which wasn't exactly a review as much as just like a kind of a fun essay. Um, by Michael J. Arlen, spelled differently. Um, what? I can say, I can say Arlen <laughs> for the for the uh, <clears throat> purpose of this conversation. But um, he it, he talks about like the hard to define quality of Wiseman's work, which I think maneuver is a pretty good example of um, the way it's just like hard to sometimes to grasp what he's doing because of how he doles out this information that I'm talking about. Um, thematically or just like actually like what are we watching and who are we watching but um but he ends up comparing his films to modern classical like composers saying that they're using these familiar materials but it feels strange um Mm -hmm. and and reading this new yorker piece made me think about how different again wiseman is from other like cv filmmakers where where the drama is is like 
apparent, like going in, like you kind of understand like why you're watching this, um, like what, what the draw is, what the, what the, uh, appeal of, um, a, a situation is like why this filmmaker would want to film the mm-hmm. situation. Um, Arlen talks about how, uh, even when the subject is something familiar, like a military exercise that we all kind of like know exists, his interest in that material is still kind of like, it's not readily available. Like why is, why is Wiseman mm-hmm. interested in, in this maneuver? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that, that's the pleasure of watching the movie. Yeah. Is being, if you're a Wiseman fan, it's be like, what is he getting out of this? Um, and that's the, the beauty of what, I mean, it's because he's so good that he makes it worthwhile. Um, but as, as Arlen says, he, he makes almost no, no attempt to adapt the basic framework into a conventional story, which I think is worth talking about. Um, yeah. I mean, m- most of that New Yorker piece is pretty entertaining because it's just about him like <laughs> struggling with it in a fun way, like with maneuver. Like he's, he's like, and I watched the, the movie over again. And <laughs> I, I rewound this scene and I was just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and he ends up like pulling something out. Um, and ends up saying like, he's, he kind of is doing like this, like Brissonian, like stripping down of, uh, of typical, like formal emphasis and, and like allowing us as we view it to like rearrange, uh, what's happening in our heads, like making meaning kind of like what we talk about with Jessica later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but like unrelated, but it's interesting to see like this article, um, see these thoughts of of, like um to see in this article a thought about like canal zone from someone who uh admires wiseman's work like who once again calls it like overlong and repetitive which we saw (laughs) when we covered that and like it's like i guess we'll see but like i wouldn't be surprised if this stretch of like four post-welfare wiseman films like really is sort of like this drop of cultural clout for him Mm -hmm. where like you know, gives you this like epic, like film about America. That is like it, that is a film that is readily apparent, like the, the draw to it more than, than a lot of Wiseman's films. But um, yeah, I guess we'll, I guess we'll see like, as we go on, like, uh, but that this does really see, it looks like Wiseman just uh, took all of that clout that he gained and just like flushed it on the door. <laughs> Like, which is to his uh, credit, I think, like that he doesn't mm-hmm. care about it. But he's like, now I'm going to make a film about a slaughterhouse. And then I'm going to make three movies about like the military doing weird stuff outside <laughs> of the country. Yeah. <laughs> that like is like really abstract. Um, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, he could have very easily kept giving people, you know, more sort of uh, just kind of um, direct like american institutional injustice or like kind of like looking at lower rungs of society um but i think you know he he maybe felt that he covered those grounds and you know his interests uh uh, were were diffuse and he wanted to to go in, in other directions um but i mean i think you know, as we could talk about with with Armstrong and Trilodenko, like the interest here is largely in like 
uh, mediation and image making and like mm-hmm. uh, per- as we talk about later performance um, and and you know the the scene with the newscaster is is very key um, but this is something that he will explore like much more directly in in model his next film um, but you could see the the definite seeds of that interest and in maneuver I think yeah uh, there's yeah th- there's it was really nice to read uh, the literature about this movie, like to to be able to like kind of put the pieces together about like what he's doing. Like, thank thankfully we were able to read like Dan Armstrong, which um, he had a a piece from like 1990 that was in like the Quarterly Review of Film and Video, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Dan, if you're listening to this, uh, we want to have you on. We cannot find any trace of you um, if you're out there. If you know Dan Armstrong, please you know, tell him about us. Wisemanpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, but like to be able to read, I mean, obviously we 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 have Barry Keith Grant still for well, hopefully for the rest of the works um, yeah. with his new book uh, edition. But um, uh, it was also nice to have like this big like academic. Um, article by somebody that we've talked about a little bit before but who just clearly understands Wiseman and comes to it like with this um Foucauldian framework that is so uh like that Wiseman's films really beg you to 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 read with uh read them with um but yeah what what did you think of uh Armstrong's piece I mean it it felt like a, a bomb to me, you know, I mean, like, like, I think these ideas of like kind of Marxist thinkers like Foucault and Baugiard, um, are so ingrained and ever present throughout the body of work as to almost, uh, uh, like not need to be addressed you know they just seem so inherent to it that that people don't really talk about them in direct terms too much um but to to kind of have it all laid out in this like marxist framework going back to that famous line about groucho you know just (laughs) just to have that acknowledged uh directly and i think was very productive for me to to talk about like things like class right and production and and uh like subservience and institutionalization and also the ideas of what it means to be a documentary spectator yeah how how uh weissman is engaging with those ideas and the struggles of creating a work that is a critique of an institution or culture from within that culture and the like inherent contradictions and, and troubles of doing that where, you know, you're kind of uh, just by definition instantly subsumed into the hegemony that you're seeking to oppose. He's, and I, I really liked, I read it after I read the, um, the New Yorker piece and I thought that they kind of compliment. It was almost as if, Armstrong was responding to our lens, like struggle to make meaning mm. out of it. Um, uh, like him saying, um, like he also says that Wiseman has like a lack of dramatic convention. Um, and, and he is avoiding that drama in order to, for you to, to make sense of the common sense 
quote unquote common sense of the institution that you're you're watching or to see how dominant ideology arises within the, the institution right. um rather than once again like yeah like focusing in on on uh, drama which i think is it's just really important to watch wiseman films this way to to come at them with i mean it's cliche to say like open mind but just to be ready to explore rather than like, even when you're even like people who are already like familiar with Wiseman's films. And like, I know a lot of times like people cherry pick around and say like, Oh, well I'm interested in this. I want to find out about this. And just like how a lot of times that's probably not going to be that fruitful. Like um, in terms of like your expectations, Um, like I don't think you're going to learn a lot about state, like state legislature when you go to that movie, (laughs) like, Uh, like that's not really what it's about on like this more like academic sense, you know, totally. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Armstrong says, uh, he delineates in his films, the mechanisms of social reproduction and control that sustain the American system, which is an interesting quote, like also in thinking about Ascension, Jessica Kingdon's film, because I think she's doing a lot of the same things, these mechanisms of social reproduction and being like a good, uh, a good member of your society. Yeah. I mean, and, and something we talked to Jessica about too, is kind of the idea of misinterpretation and something Armstrong said that, that resonated with me is that Weissman, uh, leads astray all possible interpretations. Uh, he's kind of like challenging you, uh, to figure it out. And it's more likely you're going to come away with something, uh, incorrect. Um, but like, uh, I, I, what did you think about relating that idea to Zelig, <laughs> <laughs> the Woody Allen film? I don't know. It makes me think of like what Armstrong said about the title where it's like you like maneuver, you have to maneuver your way through the text, through the spelling, of, <laughs> <laughs> the spelling which I, I think I've finally gotten down at this point. It took a minute, but yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I don't know. The, um, I don't feel that strongly about that, uh, t- that what he says about the title, but I think it's interesting. He also brings up the sexual maneuvering, which we can mm-hmm. get into later, but, um, but he, he says that, uh, like this string of, these like three remote films are like, he talks about kind of like the first 10 films and then says that these films are like distinct, these last three. Um, But these ideas of surveillance are like expanded and like very contingent on like highly portable technologies that allow them to, to surveil elsewhere, which we see a lot of in Sinai field mission. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also see an Ascension. Um, but uh, he goes into how um, they operate with regard to, like you were saying, like spectator stuff, which I think is really fruitful. Um, again, saying that they can be frustrating um, for viewers looking for like this uh, easy identification. Once again, like we don't get like these crew members that are like fitting within like certain molds that we can identify with. Um but yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, what what really resonated for me with what he was talking about there was this concept of like flipping your place in the like that 
traditional Foucault uh, panopticon model, right? Mm -hmm. Where uh, uh, no longer are we a subject of surveillance. We are the ones doing the surveilling um, and, and the sort of like perverse pleasures of that as a documentary viewer, which, which is something that that definitely resonated with me. And that like uh, people like, and just citizens are um, made to think that they are subjects, but really they're just objects. Right. And that's like um, a lot of what Wiseman is looking at is institutions, um, ways to control that, like to give you that feeling of being a subject while con- controlling you as an object. And like, um, as it relates to kind of meaning making and, and looking at the subject, what, what Rice, Weissman's real goals and interests are, you know, um, we talked to Jessica about like the earliest films uh, being about the process of institutionalization and deindividualization. And now that we come to this point after high school and basic training where that process is, is completed, you know, these are, these soldiers are thoroughly institutionalized, uh, in maneuver. Uh, so what now is the interest? What now is, is the focus and, and, uh, sorting, sorting through that, um, is, is fun. It's productive and, and it leads to all these different, uh, schemas and, and ways of interpretation. But I think, yeah, what you land on is, is this idea of, of, uh, representation performance, uh, and, and, um, the way in which, uh, ideology, I guess, uh, once put in place is carried out and acted upon. Um, and, and we also talk about like, like individual resistance within all that. And, um, but like, I, this isn't exactly resistance, but one of the ways that like, or it's not even like dominant ideology, but one of the things that you see, like just flowing through the cracks of, uh, in maneuver is sexual aggression. Like, mm-hmm. and, and like, I don't want to say that that's not part of the program cause it is, but in a more latent way. Um, and Armstrong ends up referencing a film that was on my mind while watching it, uh, which was Dr. Strangelove, which I think Grant might mm-hmm. reference in, in regard to another film, but, uh, of his, but saying there's a, there's like this strange Lovian military sexual ideology, um, like this fetish for warfare, um, which goes back to like, they're not even at war. It's peacetime, but they like really need to enact this war. Um, and obviously we talked about like the 13 year old, the comments about the 13 year olds and, and world war two soldiers, like getting whatever they want. But, um, there is this like, uh, anticlimactic ending and mm-hmm. how that like, not only subverts like the Hollywood war film, like you're talking about earlier, but also, um, you know, we end up seeing this, like, these guys looking at porn magazines. Look at that, look at that. Sir? <laughs> look at a <the> monkey. <laughs> I'm too young for that kind of stuff now. How about it? Whoa. Oh, you're Ooh, Sarah. Sarah. Whoa, Sarah. Sarah. There's a Guernsey. (laughs) (laughs) That's them one. (laughs) Look at him float. Damn. She couldn't sink if she had to. 
and shooting these blanks into the air and these like how these ideas are related of um having to uh look at these this like fake bodies you know these magazines and not fake bodies but um and the simulation of war and also just like the aggression and shooting out blanks and like the the like comic image of that um but also like that or that um Wiseman is using that comic image to uh I guess satirize um that like military sexual fetishization yeah I think it's it almost becomes the point right it almost seems like the reason why they're there is not to (laughs) prepare for potential war with the soviet union it's to like bed german babes you know (laughs) like get out their aggression right i mean and and i mean like uh, we talked about a bit with sinai field mission you know this is like an intensely male uh situation you know the there are no women within the institution. The only women we see are, are uh, local Germans um, who, you know, are inherently othered and carry with them this connotation of, um, of I guess, like an enemy status almost. You know, they, they have the history of Germany uh, with them. Um, so it, it, it's kind of tense it's kind of insidious it's like you know they're they're targets to some degree you know as much as any uh potential military enemy you know and it's it's like they're uh should you know the u.s military you know go crazy or something i mean they're the whole town is at their whim you know they're the ones strutting through the streets with tanks and guns right so they don't really have a whole lot of agency or recourse there they kind of just have to trust that uh the soldiers are there you know to practice this maneuver and and serve as their defenders um but you know should one bad actor uh, uh go against that you know there's there's no real recourse for them uh and grant talks about it in a different way than Armstrong, um, a nice like supplemental way, like talking about like Davies cinematographer cinematography and ways that like he is, uh, shooting these tanks, like the phallic cannons. Um, and, uh, he's, I think he references like Eisenstein, but saying that they're like penetrating the area, like linking, um, mm-hmm. linking war inherently to sexual assault. Yeah, I mean, you know, they talk about uh, the tank guns as phallic symbols, um, like you were saying, you know, the, the guy at the very end firing off his, his blanks, you know, is doing it from his crotch. Um, <laughs> and it cuts to the German, like, people just walk, just like looking like, what is his problem? Like, I know, yeah, it's just, <laughs> just a noise, like, you chill out. And, and, and like, there's even right before that, this kind of like puzzling shot of soldiers just like beating the tank with sledgehammers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just like, maybe they're just like getting out some aggression or something. Right. But like, yeah, like tell. in, in the absence, right. Of like the spoils of war, you know what? I, I think even though it's, it's explained to us that 
who were following, they lost whatever this exercise was, which, you know, that's the other thing about this. It's impossible to tell what they're actually doing <laughs> at any given point, right? Like, um, or and that's or the, part of that. That's yeah. part of the anticlimax is like that for whatever, I can't remember. They can't actually, well, member talks about this in his diary pretty well, but, um, how they're like, tomorrow's the good day. Tomorrow's like the fun yeah. day. We get all the action and then like, we don't get it at all. And then that feeds into what we were just talking about. But, um, then like for whatever reason, I, I can't remember if it was weather related or not, but they yeah, couldn't actually yeah, it was like okay. rain or something in route up here. The route was changed uh, three or four times because we did not have a chance to recon it. And brigade wanted us to get over here and gave us a change of mission about midnight. And they didn't recon it either, and we didn't have the bridge classification, so there were a couple of towns we couldn't go through, and there was a couple of enemy sightings, too, of scout vehicles. We finally got on the, on the uh, route that would allow us to go through and offered the least resistance. When we topped this rise, since we can't deploy, we couldn't actually send our forces down through the woods and in the low ground to, to protect us, you know, to keep them from getting shot at. So we topped the rise, we were engaged from the far ridge line. As I then developed the situation, I told the controller that the first platoon would have got up here online and fired a few rounds uh, for recon. When they drew some fire, then I would have tried to maneuver either to the east or to the west, probably to the east, since this ridgeline uh, slopes down to a, a finger, and tried to get around it and find another crossing site and call up the bridges from our trailing uh, tank uh, team. And. Uh, So he understood that, but there was more than a battalion over there. There were four companies, and they're tank heavy, and they were lined up across the ridge uh, facing our direction. And so they played it straight by the book, kill ratios, and it was uh, four, 14 to 4. So we lost 14 vehicles. They lost four tanks, and uh, all that fight was played just simulated. We discussed it over the hood of the Jeep because we couldn't go in the woods anywhere because of the rain last night. So they finally decided that we were combat ineffective and had to draw back up here. We withdrew to this high ground in the holding area and gave our three remaining tanks to Bravo Company, who's now who now has 19 tanks, and they're going to uh, try to develop the situation from here. Now go back and brief your people that they didn't do anything wrong. It's just that the book came out that way. We would have done it correctly. They said how much we were up against, sir? Four companies to five companies could fire on us at once. So that's why it turned out so bad. They couldn't actually go through with the end. And so they're just like, yeah, and you won and you lost, basically. Yeah, it's like, this would have happened. Like, <laughs> I think they maybe, like, roll a die or something to decide yeah. something. But, like, you know, it, it, it also speaks to, I guess, this whole, like idea of like military operations and that like if x then y right and like like uh but things never go that way and and going back to this yeah. like amazing scene with the controller who's like just trying to explain his role and reasoning to to one of the officers uh it's like look like yeah, well, dude, what are you gonna do take them out of action you can't do that i'm not gonna take them out of action but they won't get no credit for no kills they just choose up the damn you're not ammo. even making any difference 
Cap Abrahamson's over there dealing. I'm he, telling you what I am doing from the ADA standpoint. I don't give a damn what you do. From I don't your see standpoint. no aircraft flying well, in here. Well, I don't care. You I don't can care use what them in a ground roll. You, you can do what you want. You do what they tell you to do if you want to. But I'm telling you what I was directed and what I'm told to do. Now, you do what the hell you want. All right? You're just going to be expending ammo and ain't going to get no damn credit. You're going to kill some tanks. Okay. Well, go ahead on and do it. You'll right. kill tanks. I'm the one that gives you your fucking okay, kill. Good. If you listen to him, you ain't getting shit. I told you. How many tanks you killed today? You ain't killed one, and I guarantee no he's going to kill... Tank. No fucking... Vulcans That's right. No tank. What do you mean? You don't think they'll kill a tank if they hit a tank? Fuck no. No, they won't. You're all full of shit. They do not kill, kill no Sheridan. You want to bet? A Sheridan's not a tank. You want to bet? They will not kill it. I'm telling you. You think you know this shit now. You don't know shit. Not this shit. I know this shit. You, you do what he says. You do the shit what he says. And then... Don't come to me and report none of this shit because I'm not giving you no credit for it. Okay, well, I'm then I'm not right wasting now. no ammo then. All right, then. You are wasting fucking ammo. You engage the shit, then you will just be expending ammo and you will get no kills, no credit, nothing. I'm telling you. I'm going to get on the horn to his... Well, the thing is, he's not... He. The thing is, he's not giving you any kills anyways. It doesn't make any difference. He's Bullshit. not deciding. Who are Bullshit. you deciding? Who? Who? If Captain Abrahamson goes over and says, we're engaging you with Vulcans, and the guy says, okay, you get two extra APCs, then how are you? You're not he, even in the he's middle. He's not going to even give him no credit for no know? goddamn APCs. Are you a fucking mind reader? Because I'm a fucking controller, and I know what was taught at the fucking school, and I know what you get okay. credit for killing. I'll tell you that's what. That's right. I bet you he kills APCs. I will. Right. Fuck, if, if that's the way they run the shit, they might give him credit, but I tell you what, you will not get no credit according to my fucking ADA shit. And when the reported up the channel, you get no credit, buddy. You okay. get no credit. Okay, fine. You expended <laughs> ammo for nothing. Okay, but here's and the then thing. you're going to have less ammo. And like I told you, you can use all you want. You only got so much. And you won't be resupplied. When your fucking ammo is gone, you are down. You have none. And you can't engage nothing. Well, you know better than that, though. I can engage ground troops. Hell, I got 45. I'm indirect fires of 4,500 meters, and you know that as well as I do. Oh, you say you're going to engage? I'm you telling me I that do, you are going? You can engage, right? I'm saying, yeah. If okay. we had a real war, I could engage. This is not a real war, man. Why do you think you're in a real war? If this was a real war, half of the shit that's going on wouldn't even happen. When you was on the road coming here, you'd be dead now. No, if this was wouldn't. a real you know war, six one seventy-five millimeter uh, okay, okay, eight, sir, uh, artillery right. hit you. You telling me if you was in a real war, you'd be living? I'll come after Bullshit. you when there's some aircraft. I love that scene. I, I think it's it's, really it's, it's like a canonical Weissman scene, just yeah. like the way this guy uh, just kind of is steadfast in his uh, opposition to to kind of like uh, giving this guy any lee- leeway. You know, well, I think like, it's also like cathartic for the viewer to be like, finally, yeah. like someone is <laughs> like, okay, this is a farce that we're doing. Like, can I just like, can I just stop performing for a second? Because like, this is yeah. really annoying. Yeah. Which like, I mean, we can get into like the performance or, you know, what we've been talking about uh, loosely here and there, but um, like these, this idea of simulation, which, which we've seen before, in in Wiseman's work, um, uh, I think we talked about Canal Zone this way, like the simulation of America, and um, I think there are various simulations within Primate, but um, 
and we'll be talking about it a lot with model, um, which is very much about reproduction uh, or production. Sorry, not reproduction. Um, but this is primarily a war film simulating a war film. Um, and Member also talks a lot about like how tricky of a film it is. And he, he references a Lynn Renee, which I think is um, a pretty smart reference. Um, but there's, there's the real and the simulated and we're trying to kind of like throughout apprehending and like sussing, sussing it all out, like the language of Hollywood war movies and that we're acquainted with and what is, uh, not the performance, which we talked a little bit with, with Jessica about, but, um, yeah, you just don't know some, sometimes what is like a real assertion or a fake one. Um, and one of the things that, that I really liked, uh, which, I believe I talked about with Canal Zone is just like how clunky some of the speeches are. Um, like, I mean, when you're used to Hollywood war films and like all of the speeches that they give out are like so direct and so like um, powerful or whatever and so meaningful. And um, I think in, in the uh, uh, Colin Gallagher, who wrote uh, a piece back in 2008 for notcoming.com about this, um, mentioned like he, he was like, this is a, rehearsal like this is like yeah. this is an opening night like if we're talking about this in a, as a performance this is at the rehearsal stage still yeah um, which is funny well it's it's interesting because it's a rehearsal yes but it's a rehearsal for something that'll never happen <laughs> right. you know so so like for all intents and purposes this is the real thing <laughs> or as real as it ever gets right and like like you know going back to this idea of representation and, you know, something Alan Chilodenko talks about is, like, you know, simulacral ideas and, like, uh, 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 representations and reference and, and signifiers and all that is, like, you know, when we think of Vietnam, do we think of uh, all we all we can think of are mediated images of it, really, because mm-hmm. we don't have that direct experience and whether it's you know, um, hearts and minds or in the year of the pig or it's apocalypse now or platoon, right? It, it's still some kind of mediated representation, you know? Um, so like, but here the signifier and the referent are the same thing because the actual thing never happens. Right. And then like, you know, if Weissman and Davey weren't here, uh, this would be a non-event for you know in terms of like public awareness or like history or anything yeah. like nobody would have talked about this maneuver it's only for Weissman having documented it that you know anyone's even engaging with it at all yeah armstrong has a has a has a line that relates to that about um he's talking about like just this whole general idea and he says that Weissman Weissman's like intertextual cinema uh art imitates art rather than transparent windows onto the real world, which again, like can play into um, how you're approaching Wiseman's work, like as opposed to other like CV works that we're acquainted with. Like you're not really, you don't benefit from going into it being like, I want to see this like boots on the ground footage of a zoo. Um, (laughs) You know, like there are just like other ideas in mind, but uh, but he, but Armstrong says that in doing this, he creates a politically effective uh, pastiche, like a reflexive pastiche, um, which I think is pretty complex, um, like how it actually connects 
those fictional films, like to the American ide- ideologies that are present in, in Wiseman's work, like how much Wiseman is commenting on those uh, American films. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't, again, like a lot of what we're, we're talking about in this episode is like fewer frustrations or subversions and basically like just... Um, just, uh, I don't know, having, again, like, I can only go back to, like, this cliche of, like, having an open mind, but uh, he pulls out this, like, great Cahir uh, du Cinema quote uh, by these two guys I had never heard before uh, that were writing for the journal, um, the magazine, um, that uh, I think is generally about uh, direct cinema, not Wiseman, um, but I think is, is pretty fruitful to consider. Um, I have it somewhere. Says they, they say, like, in direct cinema, the director isn't satisfied with using the camera to see through appearances, but gives an active role to the concrete stuff of his film. It then becomes productive of meaning rather than a passive receptacle for an outside ideology. So, in other words, like, Wiseman is able to make, like, a produ- productive, like, piece of art, um, not by coming to it with an agenda, which we talked uh, with Jessica about, um, but, like, or, like, a like, just, I, I think that's how most document documentary filmmakers, like, might approach their subjects, but he is just, like, interesting, interested in being, like, okay, here's this army maneuver, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to create meaning out of it, mm-hmm. um, and how just, like, how uh, important of a flip of the switch that is from being, like, I want to show, like, what is going on with the army when they're out there doing this, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the fruit of the labor, I guess. I think, too, you know, in, in engaging with kind of war cinema and war cinema aesthetics, you know, they're like the film critic um, Jonathan Rosenbaum, you know, always kind of notes this idea of like this perversion in the American film going audience. You know, we want to see like murderers and like war and dismemberment and stuff like that. You know, it's it's, you know, uh, uh Hitchcock obviously has ideas about voyeurs and and things of that nature but you know I think Weissman is ha- having us recognize that desire and expectation and not delivering it right right where like like he's kind of setting us up where like okay this this big battle's about to happen sweet you know <laughs> like no we never get it and and at kind of asking viewers to confront that and wrestle that within themselves and be like you know what is it why why am i having this desire to to witness that you know what are what are these kind of like perverse pleasures that i'm seeking uh that are not being fulfilled in this film and it all goes back to like what wiseman says about like i make movies i don't make documentaries like he's trying to like while his films are are doing subversive like subversive things he is like actively trying to tell people like don't approach these as like documentaries like like you're used yeah. to kind of thing. Um, they're just movies. He's just making movies. <laughs> yeah, the the reality fiction ideas is uh, alive and well uh, through the, through this whole series for sure. I, I wanted to bring up one thing that we we talked about the an- anticlimactic ending, but I wanted to note like one uh, th- important thing that that Grant brought up. Um, which he references Catch-22, which I think is is a good uh, reference point, but, um, like, just the absurdity of war. But um, he talks about how not showing us the action or, like, not being able to show us the, the, the action um, 
at the end, like, uh, uh, it allows the viewer space to think more critically uh, of the action rather than passively viewing it, um, which I think is kind of like a key to this film in general. It's just like the many ways that, like, whether it's the reporter, like, restaging that thing, like, or the boy walking through the field um, or the cut at the end, like the last shot is just those Germans that I mentioned, like walking through, like what are the ways that Wiseman is allowing you space to think critically about what you're watching rather than just mm -hmm. allowing you to passively watch? Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, just thinking about again, like cinema going terms, like who, who are we meant to identify with? And I think throughout, I found myself the from, yeah, the German yeah. perspective, because you, yeah. you don't want to identify with any of these <laughs> soldiers, right? You don't yeah. want, uh, who, who are ostensibly representing us, you know, as the U S army. Um, but you, you, you know, you get that last shot of them kind of looking and that's like, that. Yeah, that's exactly how I would feel like, chill the fuck out guy. Like, you know, there's nobody here. And um, it's so great that Rod Stewart's yeah. I was only joking is playing over. Right. Like that's such a Wiseman thing. Like just like such a cheeky thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Music again, big here. We got that. And Paul Simon and then the Carpenters cover during We've the, only just the begun. opening sequence. Yeah. That, yeah. I love It's that. a really good performance. Yeah. yeah very, very soulful and, and good performance too uh, from John Davey. Um, and in that moment, you know, I feel like, his camera work was very like fluid and like kind of mobile like under and the floating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I got the impression that he was he was uh, announcing himself, you know, to some degree here. Yeah. Um, so, something else in that mess hall scene that that's kind of a throwaway almost is this moment where the general sits down uh, at the table with some of the the soldiers. And like makes this offhanded comment, and and I was watching this on Canopy. It wasn't even included in the Canopy uh, captions because it was so quiet. But he's like, <laughs> and then there's just kind of like confused silence. Everyone looking at each other before he's like, oh, so where are you from, cadet or whatever? You know? <laughs> and like you know, that's something that's brought up during the news report too. Is this? I have not noticed any new racial problems with any growing. Uh amount of minorities in the army as it relates to like the volunteer army right which you know as as um i think it was barry keith grant yeah. noted you know no new problems right <laughs> yeah. so problem same old problems right? he's like we but, saw that we yeah. saw the old ones in basic training those must still yeah. be intact yeah 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 so i mean um but you know again this is even though we're in west germany this is america right and and race is this thing that is a constant underlying presence uh in american institutions and hence throughout you know weissman's filmography yeah for sure uh anything else that you wanted to cover no i i, I don't think so i mean you know i i think uh, <laughs> we've said this a few times at, at different points about different things but again i feel like we have another capstone here um obviously to the trilogy of uh, americans abroad and uh perhaps in this series beginning with high school though uh, we have uh, another military film uh, down the line with missile um but you know uh, kind of different concerns there and um 
you know, I think to anything, this is, this is a literal capstone to the seventies. Right. And it feels like with model, even though I believe it was shot in 79 released in 81, it feels like we're kind of immediately thrust into like the Reagan era. Um, yeah, there is, I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot with yeah. the model, but, um, there is a feeling when you watch that of like one, you're like, Oh, I'm out of like the military zone. Yeah. Um, which there's like a freshness there. And also just like the way, well, part of it is the versions available of model, like are so much higher quality than mm, Sinai yeah. field mission and uh, right. maneuver. Um, but like, it's just so like uh, popping and like, like New York city, black and white just like looks beautiful. And it's just like a totally different milieu um yeah yeah it 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 does feel like a a a start in some new direction yeah but um you know as with all the films you know uh looking at letterboxd logs again you know this was kind of second or third at the bottom you know uh so you know (laughs) yeah right so um you know definitely uh hopefully if you're listening to this you've already watched it but if not you know you got to watch them all um, because they're all great yeah and um i would highly suggest um seeking out the armstrong article or like asking us for it it's uh it's really just fantastic and we'll have another armstrong piece for a model but um he is really just doing he he did terrific work covering wiseman um but uh, and you can ask for that, or, or and you can ask other things, or you can just say random things to us uh, via our email at wisemanpodcast at gmail dot com. Great, and uh, it should be uh, an active uh, month for fans of Weisman Podcast. That's right. Um, stay tuned uh, for the next few weeks for some more great episodes. Um, but we're very excited about this one and, and what's to come. All right. Stay tuned for our interview discussion with Jessica Kingdom. Talking it over, just the two of us. Working together day to day. Just begun. Uh, welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. Today we're we're joined by uh, filmmaker Jessica Kingdon, director of Ascension the Oscar-nominated 2021 non-fictional film that uh, looks at contemporary Chinese life, industry, labor, and leisure. Um, thanks for coming on the program, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's so cool that you guys have this podcast. I love I love the idea. Thanks. Um, Thank you. It's our pleasure. 
Um, so I, I guess uh, we usually just ask our guests like how they became interested in, in Frederick Wiseman's work. Like, what was your introduction? Yeah, um, I tried to listen to a few other episodes to kind of get familiar, and I heard you ask guess this question, and I mm. was trying to ask myself this question, and I realized I don't remember the first time um, that I encountered Wiseman. I feel like he's sort of just been always looming there in the um, in the fabric of independent documentary cinema. Um, and hold on, I'm just gonna let my dog in the room because she's. <laughs> Come on! Oh God! We have a, a long history of pets interjecting themselves during recording. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> um. Yeah, I can't. I can't say specifically when, but I do remember seeing. Um, I think boxing gym when I was in college at IFC. I remember okay. sitting there and watching that. That was his first film that I saw in a theater. And that felt mm -hmm. like kind of a transformative um, moment for me, seeing this kind of documentary happening, you know, in a mainstream mm. theater. Um, yeah. Being like, oh, wow, you can do something like this. Um, so that mm -hmm. was that was really cool. That's interesting. I think you're the second person in a row that 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 was like uh, had that same experience with with boxing gym. Really? Um, yeah. So, like, uh, what is it about Wiseman's work that has sort of like s struck you? Whether it was during boxing gym or just throughout, like your your uh, exposure to to documentary, like viewing and filmmaking, uh, like what what sticks out to to you about him? So many things. I mean, in Boxing Gym specifically, I remember the way that it was shot and this kind of um, focusing on these rhythmic moments of the actual practice of the boxing itself and kind of um, just the, the framing of it instead of kind of it being this straightforward documentary about boxing, which isn't something that I'm particularly interested in. Um, somehow that topic just became a completely different um, in for me to understanding boxing um, so there was the visual aspect of that but actually the thing that draws me to Wiseman's films aren't um, the the visual compositions but more these moments that he creates these kind of brief encounters that we have with different characters and these unexpected kind of poetic moments of of how people um, interact with one another and hearing him um, in interviews and reading interviews with him, he kind of talks about how, um, you know, the thing that draws him to documentary filmmaking and the th when he's making a film, he's actually thinking about people. I mean, I don't think he says this exactly, but so paraphrasing something as if like the people are characters in a novel. And so there's something almost literary about, um, about the people that we encounter in terms of how we're seeing them express that particular moment in their lives. So I guess it's uh, a lot of it's the, the situations and the kind of dialogue that he captures and going into these spaces without any set agenda and without any kind of moral judgments that he's um, placing on situations and approaching things, I think, with a really open mind. Um, Mm -hmm. is some that allows for so many different types of readings is something that I've always been really drawn to.
Yeah, I think it's it's really fortuitous for us to have you on for this episode about maneuver, uh, in particular uh, as it relates to ascension. Um, because one of the things that was really stucking out with me, just kind of keeping Weissman in mind as I revisited, um, was the way in which a narrative is formed through the structure of the film and the relation of these sequences to each other. You know, I, I would make the argument that, you know, among Weissman's body of work, this is really like a month probably chiefly is like most linear narrative in terms of like sequencing of the events. And that's something that's, that's, you know, the relationship between, uh, you know, sex doll factory workers and, and, uh, bodyguard training courses, you know, are only the relationship that you are creating by juxtaposing them and and sequencing them in your Mm film. Um, so like, like, you talk about a bit you know your experience in the editing and and kind of what you're saying creating these moments uh from what he captures and and how you you know sequence those individual sequence and then go about structuring the larger film to build this more grand kind of narrative yeah but in maneuver you're saying it's um structured more more linearly linearly in terms of like the timeline of what we're seeing Right. Yeah. I mean, there's more, more of a progression. It's like a linear progression, but I guess, you know, in Ascension, we have this linear progression of sort of like, uh, social status or, or, you know, levels of employment, you know, from kind of these, these four higher workers all the way up to the usher, upper echelons of, of Chinese society. Yeah. Class Ascension was how I right. only later realizes how I was structuring it. Um, <laughs> cause initially I didn't really have that um, structure in mind. I knew that all of the pieces were interconnected and linked somehow, um, but I didn't have that overall structure of class ascension actually until I was um, midway or three quarters finished with editing. Interesting. <laughs> I, I'm glad, uh, Arlen, that you brought up the sex doll sequence, which is fantastic. Uh, but uh, Jessica, you were talking about these moments that you're drawn to in Wiseman's work about like how he's letting like characters breathe because um i i think that 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 sequence stands out to me because you kind of like let that let that happen maybe more than um had previously happened in the film of just like these people being able to talk to each other and um talk about the labor and uh keeping each other accountable or whatever like just pointing out what they're doing and what they're not doing um but but the there's also like during that scene I'm, i i keep thinking about like the the wiseman line from high school like only a body doing a job of like this these people like working on bodies like you know they are like doing labor for like an actual body that is just being created to do one job for the people that that uh purchase this um it's really a fascinating sequence yeah there's um some kind of odd parallels that I drew between Ascension and um, some Wiseman films while making it without sort of realizing it. Um, But I actually did interview, like I had an interview with him um, and I brought one of them up and I think that he had thought about it too when he saw Ascension, which is this really specific moment in the 1984, I think, um, film The Store that takes place at a Neiman Marcus in Dallas, Texas. There are these 
shopkeeping women who are being trained by their manager about how to smile properly for the customers in order to attract mm-hmm. kind of buyers. Um, but then there was that scene that I had shot at the manor school in Shanghai where these um, these women who are learning business etiquette to get ahead in the workplace mm-hmm. are being taught the correct way to smile um, also by a, by a teacher. So I think both him and I sort of saw that parallel in that movie. And I was trying to make something that was kind of um, more universal than just something specific to China. So when I saw that scene in the store, I was I got really excited about it. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there was so much of definitely <laughs> so much like running through my head, like uh, like meat, I think uh, was a for sure. touchstone for me, like just this like production of goods and um, and like just this regulated this like self-regulated um, discipline and, and like omniscient surveillance that's happening throughout. Um, yeah, I, ha- I haven't seen that yet. Um, yeah. yeah, there are so many Wiseman films that I haven't seen yet. <laughs> Um, so I've kind of been making my way through his canon slowly. Speaking more about like, like I know you you just said that you were trying to make something more um, universal, but um, I was thinking about another filmmaker that I guess maybe uh, a Chinese filmmaker that maybe is not, is trying to make something more about China. Were you at all uh, interested in Jajanka's films like while making this? Because I was thinking a lot about, like, 24 City, especially, like, the factory workers. Mm, um, yeah, 24 yeah. City. Yeah, I saw that a long time ago. I wasn't thinking about that specifically. Um, and I'm a fan of Xia Zhangke. The Chinese filmmakers that I was thinking of was more um, Wang Bing. Do you know Do you know him? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. he, he made Bitter Money. Um, west, west of the Tracks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't seen West of the Tracks, but um, it's a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> Some of his films uh, are hard to find. I was trying to watch um, Dead Souls, mm-hmm. which sounds yeah. amazing, but I was never nope. able to find it. That one is tough to watch. I think I've, I've got Bitter Money here, and um, just the the one about I think Three Sisters. Uh, oh yeah, three sisters. I saw available. that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's there's a lot of interesting things in your work that I think, uh, in the formal elements of your work that can be drawn to Weissman. But I I want to ask kind of also about your particular sensibility because I think, in Ascension and certainly in your uh, most recent short, it's coming. There's like a very heightened sense of absurdity that that I would call kind of Wisemanian, you know. And and again, you're you as you expressed, you're you're coming to these subjects with an open mind and sort of uh, letting letting whatever you find be bore out in in the edit. Um, but can you kind of speak to just what interests you in terms of uh, that that kind of content? Um, you mean these kinds of moments of the absurd absurdity kind of surreal surreality in the quotidian um and, and the appeal of that for you um it's hard to say i mean i think it's just something that i'm naturally drawn to because that is how that's what i think life is and i think a lot of 
um, the power of documentary is being able to um, to elevate those moments in a way that are all around us, but we just may not notice them. And so the power of, of documentary is to take these moments of the everyday absurd and point them out. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think one of your techniques that that I kind of recognize as bearing traits of, of Weissman's work is is you'll kind of let a line linger uh, for a moment before cutting to a next sequence you know and moving moving uh the setting and, and starting in the new uh, topic and which which has the impact of like you know just letting that line sit and think as we transition and kind of emphasizes whatever the last thing spoken was it's like a, a punctuation to the scene um uh i i just think that that's a very strong uh technique and and in your film it was employed uh, uh you know to great effect Oh, thanks. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with timing and, um, yeah, rhythm. Which And I noticed a lot of these moments in Maneuver, too. Um, even though on the face of it, it seems like it might be more um, kind of dry and military-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of moments of these kinds of humor and absurdity. Um, like, one thing that comes to mind is the... I think there are these journalists who are there kind of reporting on the situations, <laughs> talking about how, yeah. um, what were they saying about the volunteer situation that it might not, that uh, it was, they, they haven't gotten like as good of recruits, like the intelligence yeah. level or something has been <laughs> yeah. lower ever since, you know, the draft was abolished. Right, right, right. So, yeah. So they're talking about how there, there weren't enough volunteers there. And then, um, I was kind of amazed about Wiseman's, just his ability to film these places so unobtrusively um, and just capture these moments where people usually would be self-conscious. Like you have the reporter and the camera person filming him um, and they're saying they're saying this line about the low volunteer recruits and then um, he's like... Should we do another one? And then they finish and they're like, okay, we got it. Let's go home. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. we kind of yeah. linger on them for a little bit. Yeah. That, that seems so great. And it, it's also, you know, I think it, it starts a through line through a maneuver about kind of the character of the army and, and the individual recruits. But again, this was another parallel I saw in Ascension was, I feel like a lot of what you were interested in is the uh, mediation that's happening by the people you're filming. You know, we have so much kind of social media conscious filming going on, say by like the the bodyguard instructor who's always filming or i think it was a towel factory uh they're trying to do some social media promotion and and the ways in which you know you are being conscious about your image production um can you speak a bit to to i guess how you're approaching the whole idea of documentary representation uh in your work and and how it might relate to weissman um, sorry, that was my dog running. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like that question. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. She's always just like here on my Zooms. And sometimes I just hear this groan in the background. And I always have to 
explain it's my dog, but I don't know how much people believe me. Um, <laughs> yeah, the whole social media thread and kind of self-representation and that wasn't, I didn't go in knowing that that would be such a big theme. Um, but I think it fits in with this idea of um, kind of modern self-exploitation or general exploitation where everyone everyone's an influencer everyone has their own brand everyone um how our free time is kind of monetized and used on social media in order to promote ourselves the idea of work and leisure kind of bleeding into one another um and um also the gig economy all of these ideas mm. kind of mm-hmm. coalesce together in these different forms of social media that I kept finding throughout Ascension. Um, we, when we went to Iwu, which is where I shot Commodity City, which is where the largest wholesale mall in the world is, it's this physical five-mile wholesale mall. We went back there for Ascension to shoot in this um, Trump hat factory. But when I went there, right. I found we we barely spent any time in the mall because the thing, the big thing there this time um was actually live streamers and there were so many mm. and some of this I it didn't make it into the film which I wish that it had um because it was just like so much it was so dialogue heavy and so so much mm. discussion that I found really fascinating but I think just like to keep the runtime run time down um I took it out but there there was this live streaming school where people were learning how to People were teaching each other, you know, how how to have the most compelling um, social media account in order to sell your products. And we see that kind of reflected in that the it's like a wiper, um, like towel factory. Um, it's like a rag. Yeah. There's like it's um, it's this really it's this interesting kind of material. They called it like coconut cloth because. Um, and I asked the guy why, and because he said, oh, it's just to make people think of natural things, but there's nothing <laughs> with coconut in it, <laughs> which I love. Um, just kind of how straightforward it is, and it's kind of so obvious. Like, yeah, obviously there's no coconut shells in this, but um, we just want, you know, to make it sound nice. Um, so we that scene I included, obviously, where we see um, the men kind of selling these coconut cloths and um yeah that oh, scene was more visual but it was just funny how that city used to be people were drawn to it for the space of this physical mall and now all of it just happens to be instead it's all live streamers it's all ephemeral it's all um it's disembodied and it's all about the personality that um you create yourself in order to you know sell these products whatever it might be mm-hmm. interesting um, I'm I'm glad you brought up that that line during that that sequence in 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 maneuver of like okay let's let's go home because like I don't it wasn't covered a lot in the scholarship that we looked at like that particular line but it does really hit me both times I've watched it like I don't really know what to do with it other than there is just like this break from uh, his job uh, of like you know like he's no longer working and he just wants to get out of there. Um, but there's also like that whole idea of this like low draft recruitment thing um, being played with uh, over the film of like, you know, this, this, uh, this, I don't know what, his, like general, like doing this like uh, aggressive 
like dressing down, saying like, apparently I don't speak plain English, so I'm going to tell you in plain fucking English again. I want fucking CEO eyes tied on your fucking body. And I expect you to look and ensure that they are there. I'm not going out looking for anything else. I've talked about the fucking lanyards till I'm blue in the face. I'm going to start taking fucking money. Now that's all there is to it. Rank or money. I don't give a damn which. I'm getting tired of going around and seeing the same crap that I'm beating my gums up here daily and I'm seeing it over and over and over again. Bunny hats. No steel helmets. Now guys, do I speak English or not? Do you understand what I want or don't you understand what I want? If you don't understand, I can find fucking replacements. I'm getting tired of going up and getting my ass reamed every single day on different things. And after I sit here and I think I made myself clear, convoy procedure. I talked about it. I talked about convoy procedure last night. I talked about speed. I talked about safety. Six fucking hours later, we turn over a POL tanker. Now pull your heads out of your fucking ass and get with the program. If you can't get with the program, then turn in your bars and go play tiddlywink someplace else. I want tight control on the weapons. I want tight control on the CEOIs. I want tight control on the vehicles. Now, by God, either you do it or hold up your hand and I'll find a job for you in the Tiddlywink factory someplace. And then later, and then later him being like, this is the cream of the crop. <laughs> it's just like, okay. Like performance, a, a charade. Yeah, sure. And, but yeah. the, the journalist saying, oh, let's go home. I, it kind of makes you feel like everyone's just, like doing this half-assed job of like not they don't the journalists don't even really want to be there covering this the volunteers are there because I mean I guess they're volunteering but it doesn't seem like um just even the fact that it's kind of a pretend war it's the simulation of combat um Mm -hmm. there's something that's kind of like everyone's stepping into this role of of performance, including the journalists in this sense too. And then sometimes we see them kind of drop the mask. What's interesting for me is when the soldiers are kind of play into that or the volunteers are playing into their performance roles. Um, Like when we hear the uh, radio from the tanks, um, which is something that I love is, and it's also something that I try to do too, is just capture audio, even when I'm not, um, filming people directly um, just to kind of get some some dialogue. But there's this scene where um, they're kind of rolling through the towns and they're commenting on um, the young children, which is kind of disturbing yeah. and saying something <laughs> like, crazy. oh, even that 13-year-old looks good. They're kind of like playing into this stereotype of these American soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically fantasizing about like, raping and pillaging post-world war ii you know like oh man like how great it would have been to have been here you know in 45 or whatever right and it's like like we would have gotten whatever we yeah, wanted if yeah, we were here yeah, you know. to- yeah it's it i mean it's it's kind of horrifying but i think it does it goes back to this idea brought up in the news report about like the quality of recruits now right and like like you know would a draft-based army be so, you know, crude and, and you know, uh, violent, you know, probably because of the institution of the military, it just kind of 
does that. To yeah, I imagine they right? would be. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, but I think it, it's an idea Weissman's asking us to think about is like, what are the ways in which a volunteer uh, service is, is different from a draft-based service? Um, <laughs> but like, like the thing that's really interesting about that scene with the tanks rolling through too is you get uh, all these onlookers looking through their homes, you know, who are clearly of age, who have experienced, uh, you know, uh, being occupied during the end of World War II by Americans. And, you know, that has to be running through their heads as they're seeing all these American tanks go through their streets, right? And the ways in which this is certainly a performance, you know, explicitly for the NATO forces, but it's also a performance kind of in the minds of the local Germans who are reliving their experiences of the war. Mm, yeah. 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 The, uh, it, I mean, both the watching that reporter restage that thing, as well as like seeing the onlookers or like that boy walk through like the maneuver as they're doing it. Like it creates this great, like it, it puts us at a critical distance. Like it, it, it it's this ironic, like critical distance that, um, uh, also, you know, it, it's like this, like, like Brechtian thing that, um, allows us to think about what we're watching more. Right. Um, like not only think about the maneuver that they're doing, but to think about the simulation of war for narrative, um, and just like the silliness or like anachronistically like cosplaying war during peacetime, um, or like the idea of Hollywood, like recreating war, uh, for film for like often prestige um just kind of like i think like wiseman playing around with like the silliness of that yeah and then there's that wild conversation with the um the local german woman who is she's telling the volunteers that um ah i know uh, you're uh, some kind of reporter no we're uh, controller ah control referees I'm uh, 14 months American, 45, 46, please on. Uh, my yeah. father was uh, for Dick's Dutch of Jersey. In... Do you like it there? Prima. Yeah. Uh, there uh, they had to eat enough, and here it was very bad for the people yeah. at no, the end of the war. Yeah. There were nothing to eat, and and it was very lucky <laughs> to uh, the soldiers if they were. Uh, taken as prisoners from I heard from, from many uh, soldiers who were prisoners that uh, there they were treated very good and uh, they said uh, that it was uh, luck for them to be taken as prisoners because at America the first time they had to eat enough they could eat as much as they want but here it was very bad at the end of the war all people yeah, well, there was no crops or had anything Yes. Yeah, there wouldn't be very much food at that time. Mm-hmm. So there's this like immense um, trauma for everyone that, and I guess like seeing the the volunteers dressed as soldiers is just making them remember that. Um, and how she's asking like, "Oh, what are you doing here? Oh, you are reporters," and then they're like, "No, we're controllers," which I don't really know the military mm-hmm. lingo so i didn't know specifically what that meant but then she's like oh controllers yeah and i kind of wondered if she knew um mm-hmm. what that was or, or kind of what she yeah. was thinking and then we kind of linger on her face a little bit longer where she's sort of like 
polite and formal looking. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, her expression kind of said a lot, but I wasn't sure what. Yeah, there's there's a sense about this whole thing where it's like a years-long punishment for the sins of World War II, you know? Like, like they're still here, right? They're still running through their streets and like we got the scene with the the ditch digger you know the whole thing stopped by by a guy digging a hole in the road and yeah, population through, problem yeah the population problem right and like the the population problem that that's how they described the the guy they're they're like we've got population problems up here uh we got a German national that says uh, that we can't bring these tanks down this road. You want to come up here and talk to him? Especially. Uh, it's the one that was uh, up here digging this ditch. Like, um, it's revealed then that, like, they're only going this way because they can't go the other way because the tanks that came through last year ruined that road. So it's like this perpetual annual Mm -hmm. disturbance of the community and the locals' like way of life. And it's just like, you know, yeah, they're perpetuating this punishment, you know, for 20, 30 years at this point. And it's just like, you know, at at what point, uh, uh, does it all end for them? But it, it, the ways in which you know World War II still reverberate for this community uh, seem to be completely material. You know, it's not just like a, a psychological or mental thing. Yeah, I was surprised that the locals didn't seem more annoyed. Um, I mean, even the ditch digger who was like, "No, you you can't come through here." He seems kind of to tolerate um, when he was being negotiated with. He he wasn't as angry as I expected it might be yeah and i mean there's no regard to i mean it's interesting this is like the third the concluding film of a trilogy sort of for weissman of like um americans out of place or americans abroad and like there's there's just no regard really you know like there's a scene where they're saying like as it is this is a watershed area we got to be very careful not to tear it up not to spill anything and not to knock down any trees like the next scene or the scene after is just tra- tanks running over trees, you know, and no road, like no, no real care or anything. I mean, they're firing off, you know, all these uh, simulated rounds, you know, while in, in residential areas, you know, basically with, with uh, local onlookers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the ways in which uh, America inserts itself um, and, and, establishes itself and makes itself prominent here i think you know maybe uh even more so than canal zone you know obviously there's not like a whole institution uh mm-hmm. around this uh like multiple institutions it's the institution of the military um but the the degree to which i think the locals are kind of uh, under their thumb to say so to speak you know like like if if you're spending too too long watching uh you're gonna get asked to leave because they're gonna think you're a russian spy or something you know seems like very pronounced here mm-hmm. and i think that the whole film is framed in this way by that um one of the opening scenes where it's the lieutenant or someone who's making that speech um do you know what i'm talking about um he's saying we're just talking about recreating the fog of war that guy? Yeah, I think he, he's at basically... At the podium. Yeah, at the podium. To the 
maximum degree that we can within all of the respect for human life and property that we have and with all, within all of the safety inhibitions of peacetime maneuvers, we are going to seek to reproduce the fog of battle that is such a real factor on any battlefield. And in that fog of battle, which is almost as thick on some maneuver fields as on some battlefields, there will be the pressures and the stresses that approach com those of combat. Commanders and staffs will have to make decisions in the field and in practice as they can never do in a classroom or while reading a book of theory. And soldiers will learn all of the lessons that they learn when moving tanks and armored infantry carriers and helicopters and armored artillery and engineer equipment and trucks and jeeps back and forth in a simulated combat maneuver. So, the real payoff comes in the maneuver itself. I say that we cannot afford not to put our soldiers into the field. If what we have within our countries is worth preserving, it is worth paying a price to defend. And the price of defense is the exercise of soldiers and units in field maneuvers. I hope and pray that there is no human life cost here. But even in those maneuvers where there are human lives lost, one still must step back and look at the national and the alliance benefits that derive from the training exercise. But I wasn't sure if that was sort of like feeding into the fantasy of what they were doing or right. if they meant it. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of like something that I think you have to navigate watching this like during a lot of what people are saying is like what is the performance and what is being like addressed outside of the maneuver or is it all just kind of like together where it's like hard to really like it's so blended uh like the performance and the, and the actual like uh ongoings of of real life um it's hard to untie them uh, yeah there the... i mean there were some montages where um it's just the visuals of the tanks kind of shooting the blanks or whatever. And it, we, I was thinking like, we can forget that this is just a simulation, especially if there, when there's not really that much dialogue and we're just seeing the visuals of it, we can forget mm -hmm. that we're not in an actual war. But then there's that incredible scene where, um, there are kind of, there's like three volunteers that are, um, arguing about something about if oh, you yeah. get the Maybe. credit um for mm -hmm. killing a tank and like referee yeah. and yeah one one guy is saying that you won't get the credit um and then he's saying like this is um not a real war if this was a real war you'd be dead by now <laughs> which i thought was hilarious uh that that's the like 
you know, an all-time keeper scene for me out of this film. Yeah. And, like, it's it's amazing because, like, in one fell swoop, it totally undercuts the entire exercise, right? Totally. Like, well, if, if this isn't, you know, what it's like, then what's the point of doing this? What are we doing out here? What are we preparing for? Like, a pretend performance war, you know? like Yeah, he was like, like you'd, you'd be long be dead. dead. Yeah, yeah. You, you'd, you'd have died a long time ago. <laughs> It's it's interesting too because, um, like Wiseman has said that he considers this like also the end of a trilogy uh, or at least like another sequel like with high school and basic training, yeah. and in all three of these movies there is like a black character who like is like this voice who kind of like punctures the reality for uh like whatever's going on like in in high school yeah. you know the the kid who's like talking about how the school is a trash can like just yeah. being like confrontational about like how they're being treated um and then like in basic training we get the guy who's like i like i don't have a country um yeah. like again being confrontational about this like thing that you're just supposed to assume like you just you just go on with with what you know they're telling you to do and then here we get this yeah this great scene of this guy being like what are you talking about? This isn't real life. And the other guys just like, kind of like, they don't want to, they don't want to like break through like the, the performance of it all. Right. It's like this reality yeah. check coming in. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about seeing it as, as a continuation of that trilogy is like, by this point, the institutionalization is like, total right like they're already in there there's no this is the only kind of individual resistance to mm -hmm. the institution we get is this one one scene with the controller um and and jessica uh, in ascension you know the institutionalization was something that was was coming out to me too i think particularly in the the scene you were talking about about the kind of manner school and the the smiling lesson and the hugging and all that and and the ways um uh, there's there's the one male uh, uh, participant who's like comes up and's like well like what do I do uh, if <laughs> if someone's sending sending a woman to hug me or whatever like how should I pro it's like kind of, it's barely some pushback but at least it's not just kind of like you know blindly taking this in because of his particular unique circumstances um, and and I'm curious just kind of how how you were approaching this idea of of kind of individuals in the group and 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 just kind of a a, a productive you know unified group. Yeah, it's funny just quickly about that scene. Um, is that and part part of what is a parallel too? I think in or how I've been influenced by Wiseman films is when you have individuals or characters standing up and saying something. It can be read in so many different ways. And there is not always one specific answer. And maybe the person doesn't even have, doesn't even know, like you can read into it, into intention in so many ways. So I, um, I thought, I felt like he was being genuine when he asked that, but Nate, my partner who was, um, also a producer and editing this with me, he, he was like encouraging me not to include that scene. Cause he felt like the guy that guy was being kind of um, coy and trying to show off, actually, and show off how there are all these women who are trying to hug him and kind of bragging, which is an interesting read of that. Uh, but even if that's the case, that's also still pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that 
another influence of Wiseman films is going into these institutions and seeing how they work and seeing the individual actors in the system. And instead of trying to go in with a cohesive thesis about what each system, um, whether putting putting some sort of moral judgment on it or um, making going in with a conclusion or opinion about it, going in with this sort of open mind and just filming day-to-day footage and seeing what you get is, um, I think that's a, a lot of times when people make a documentary, they almost go in the opposite way where there's a story that's already happened and then they try to go back and unravel that story. Um, but with Wiseman, um, he goes in without, without knowing what the story is going to be. And it's the specific moment, the specificity of those moments that he gets that um, is what makes that kind of film so unique, I think. And that's something that, um, you know, you can't, you can't write it. Even though the funny thing is, I think he's influenced a lot by, by literature and looking at these people in his films as, as, as if they could be um, characters in a novel, which I think makes it in a way truer than real life and more universal. Um, but to go back to what you were saying about like the individuals within systems, I think in Ascension, there's a lot of institutions that we go in and a lot, you see a lot of scenes where people are being pressured to conform in order to get ahead. And what I hope that the film can do is sort of expose the cracks in those systems and see these moments of individuality, whether it's just um, kind of a look that someone gives or, you know, a line that goes against everything that was said before that. There are these kind of small gestures that I think push push against what we are expecting to see. Yeah, it, well, I'm even thinking about, like, the people that you kind of see just kind of, like, falling asleep or, like, just sitting at a table, <laughs> like, the the janitor. Like, I love that, that yeah. shot of the janitor sitting at the table and then, like, suddenly getting up. Like, this is, like, that's contrary to, like, that, that like disciplined, like always doing your job kind of um, thing that we see elsewhere in the movie. Mm. Yeah, and we even have um, a scene where um, people are dressed in military kind of garb mm-hmm. and yeah. they're in an orientation for a job at this air conditioning factory. Um, but there's this close-up of this young woman who has like lipstick on and she just looks very made up and... Um, even just a shot like that, I think, is just something that's pushing against what you'd expect. And then at the end of it, her and another friend kind of go off skipping together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think I like you kind of mentioned this like open-mindedness idea. And I think one of the, the th- most fruitful things that Weissman offers contemporary documentarians and something I think you're, you're carrying forward is is involving the viewer in the the creation of meaning yeah and and i have to imagine uh for this film in particular you you must have experienced uh a lot of incorrect (laughs) or assumptive interpretations Mm -hmm. um like you you talk about kind of the thorniness of of you know what i think is 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 an uh I don't want to use the word correct, but I think my, my preferred approach, uh, for watching documentaries, um, but, but what that leaves open or, or, uh, questionable in terms of how people actually engage with the work. 
Yeah, um, that's a great question. And it's something that I have been learning along the way in terms of seeing this film go out and live in the world. Because um, no matter how many interviews I give or Q&As I do, I can't control how people will read the film. And I think that's just the um, price you have to accept when you're making an open-ended film like this. Um, and it's kind of awful in some ways when people do have the wrong reading of it. Um, and then it makes you question, like, who who owns the reading of a film? Or who, who owns the interpretation of a piece of work that comes out? Is it the director? Or is it the individual who's writing a specific review on Letterboxd or confronting you in a Q&A or something? I mean, the most extreme example that I've had was um, there was one woman who said, if there's a, an extreme example of kind of the opposite reading of the film, of how I would um, of how of my intention um mm-hmm. she said if there's one film to show in because this was at a university and it was shown in an east asian um studies department and she said if there's one film that would be shown in an east asian department at this university to incite a war against the u.s and china this would be it and i was like <laughs> oh my goodness like the fact that that kind of incited such a powerful yeah. response in her um, it was, it was really surprising to me, but also just that read, I mean, how, how do you argue with that? Like, of course, that's not my intention. My intention is the opposite and to show the universality of the human experience under capitalism and for people to see themselves in the movie, no matter where you are in the world. And of course, a lot of people see that. Um, and I think most, most people tend to, at least the ones that I talk to, you know, kind of read, read that from the film and see themselves as complicit in the film and see the humanity in it. Um, but sometimes I do get reactions like that or someone telling me, oh, your great grandfather would be ashamed of you to have his name included Jesus. in this film. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's really uh, it's really painful when, when that happens. But also I've come to, I realize that it's something that I have to accept that there's always going to be this gap between intention and how a film is received um it's it's something that is inherent i think to making an open-ended film that doesn't try to cast any judgment one way or the other and i i've come to also think that it might say more about the person who's making that judgment on it than the actual work itself because it's like oh what do you see in this film that makes you feel like it's feeding into stereotypes or what do you see in this film that makes you feel like it's trying to incite differences or incite a war between the U S and China? Like what it's interesting to talk about it in a really microscopic way to like, um, turn it on the person and ask them what, what the specific things that they see in this, in these scenes are that make them have that reaction. But I was reading something, um, randomly like about, an interview that Wiseman gave a while ago about high school. And he said that he was showing it to some board of the school or something. And afterwards this woman came up to him and he thought she was going to hate it. And she was like a conservative board member, but she was like, Oh my God, I loved the film. It was so great. And it's because he realized they had opposite kind of values. And she was just the values in the film that the kind of scenes that he was parroting she was, um, you know, valuing. So it's just people's kind of filters on realities. It's it 
really is something that magnifies it. Yeah, I mean, even like before I watched Ascension, like reading like the log line, uh, like IMDb, like this like grand like prognostication about the Chinese dream, just like how how much I didn't feel that that resonated with my experience with the movie because of how like freeing it felt to be creating meaning like with the with the with the images and and, and the way that you edit the film that um it's just so refreshing to see like instead of getting like a documentary where it's just like this is what this movie's about um but yeah i can imagine that that would be frustrating when you when you leave that open space and then obviously like uh the way that the marketplace works they have to find a way to codify it or to like market this film as something in order to i don't know like you know sell it every film needs a log line i guess mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah I, I think too the thing in particular i mean not to get too far away from weisman but i think s- segments of american audiences are primed to engage with documentaries about china in a particular way and in a way that you know reinforces kind of national uh uh, narratives that that uh speaks to them as an other or like you know a potential enemy you know um i'm thinking of i don't know if i want to call out any names but one came out last year again uh, about covid i felt was like a pretty egregious example of um that sort of perspective and how it can play out in American documentary about China. But like, you know, it, when you kind of what you're saying, like, like when you leave that space open for interpretation in that kind of milieu, you know, it's, it's ripe for, for misinterpretation and to like kind of uh, pick and choose elements uh, and isolate them to reinforce certain uh, ideas and narratives. And I mean, these kinds of reactions, it they kind of come across the board, whether it's from an American perspective or a Chinese perspective. It, and I realized it was something, well, the U.S. and China are both extremely nationalistic countries and they both um, value patriotism a lot, which is, and, and my thesis actually, if I have one, is that I think U.S. and China are much more similar than we realize or the, than we like mm-hmm. to imagine. And so I think that's part of why it's been kind of interesting that this kind of reaction to the film, when it's read in that more negative light, um, it's kind of come across the board, whether it's from Chinese nationals or white Americans or even some Chinese Americans. Um, it's It says, I think, to me more about the individual and their relationship perhaps to um, patriotism than to their nationality, if that makes sense. Which, I mean, I think, Going back to Maneuver now, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, one of the folks we read noted that the Pentagon improved the film after two days and they took that as, as a sign of Weissman being fair. And mm-hmm. uh, Time Magazine even even said this was like, you know, there's nothing for the military to be, you know, worried about or ashamed of here. You know, it's a great example of what we do abroad. Yeah, I, I read that. But then I was yeah. thinking, what about the, the scenes at the end um when the guys are looking at the porn magazines and kind (laughs) of ogling this woman um maybe they don't mind that because maybe it is such a like misogynistic culture that they don't see that as a blight against the military yeah yeah that's the ending is so good with like them doing 
like them looking at these magazines and then just like the guy with the gun at his waist just like firing blanks off <laughs> into, the, into the air uh it's it's so potent and there's Which that I mean, um that kind of commercial that comes on um or that news piece talking about <laughs> Well, here's something that's no joke. The American Council on Life Insurance is reporting that marriage will prolong your life. The council says a study has found that once a man is divorced, his death rate is nearly twice that of a married man when it comes to heart disease, strokes, or cancer. The divorced man's death rate is said to be three times higher for hypertension, five times higher for suicide, and seven times higher for cirrhosis. Divorced people also reportedly have three times the fatality rate of married people when it comes to car accidents. The insurance council has adapted the slogan, better wed than dead. Wait a minute, you mean I have a choice? And then we start thinking about these men and start mm. thinking about them at war, you know, the idea of them at war maybe in the future. Um, mm. And would they be divorced? At least that's what I was thinking. I was thinking it was kind of a foreshadowing. And then you see, you know, the guy, the guy's looking at the porn magazine. And again, that felt like it was playing into these stereotypes of men at war, men without women, men kind of, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of took it as this, you know, the whole film was about performance and, and simulation and like back to that uh, that conversation over the radio during the tanks of like, you know, what it would have been like after World War Two, and like, you know, this is a fake simulated war and these are kind of the fake simulated spoils you know you're not <laughs> going you're not you're not betting a bunch of german women uh you're you're just looking at porn <laughs> because this is a fake war with with you know fake rewards yeah and all you can do is you know fire your blanks off from your hip into an empty field while just some like confused onlookers are annoyed you know right <laughs> um well, was there anything else um, on maneuver that you that you wanted to cover, uh, Jessica? Um, let me think about it. Oh, that part where there's that analyst who comes in uh, was kind of funny. Do you know what I'm talking? I couldn't tell. He was like a consultant or analyst. What would be your tactics? What What do you expect your your tactics to be? Okay, my my tanks are situated to get the longest fires right now. I don't have anything, uh, any other organic uh, anti-tank weapons, uh, except for my tanks, until we get to close range, down to law range, 250, 300 meters, mm -hmm. or the new uh, flash rocket system, which uh, is good out to about seven or 800 meters. Mm -hmm. So my tanks are situated so that when I see a target appear, we can actually shoot them when they come across that rise. Now, we're not supposed to fire except at about... Uh, uh, 2,500 meters to get, you know, a high probability of kills. But at that far out, I would have the entire platoon fire at one vehicle. Mm -hmm. And by firing at one vehicle, that increases my chance of kills. And the more I can kill at a long range, sure. the better off we'll be. So I'll designate the targets to my platoon leaders. I'll call them and tell them the tank on the left, as it appears in sector so-and-so, and I'd give him the grid, uh, have all your platoon fire and volley. They'd go ahead and fire, and I'd do the same thing with my other tank platoon if they could see the same targets. Fire them up with tanks as far away as possible. Have my uh, infantry platoon engage with their 50 calibers and their laws as soon as they could take them under fire, and then I would start to move out my infantry first. 
if I could felt that I could not defend this position, if the enemy, you know, if I kept seeing a horde coming over the rise, I'd want to move out my infantry first because they have the lighter skinned vehicles. And I wouldn't want them stuck up here to try to defend it. Then I would send out uh, the platoon of my tanks, which was least engaged, get them out of here first. And the heavily, the most heavily engaged platoon would stay here last. Now that, you know, their survivability goes down because of that, but it's able, it allows me time to defend uh, the terrain. But would you actually anticipate being able to stay here until they reached law range? Not, Two or not unless, yards? not unless there was. Uh, there was a battalion or a battalion minus coming across in my sector, and then I feel that my, that my tank platoons could knock off a lot of them, but a mm -hmm. few would get through. And those few who got through and maybe came up in a covered route mm -hmm. and got up into my dead space, mm -hmm. my infantrymen would so then So you'd just them. lie in, in wait for That's them. That's right. Well, I just, I felt like you could tell, it was just so clear how the, um, the volunteers and the people there are trying to sound like very buttoned up and professional and use this lingo to mm -hmm. the analysts like they're it was like a performance within a performance if that yeah makes sense. I, yeah and i think that they have like they're being surveilled as much as they're like surveilling as well yeah so that yeah that scene stuck out to me yeah and also you can so clear like he just looks so markedly different than them like he he looks like he has like a c-suite position somewhere um, like he's, he's not in the field, like doing this. Yeah. Um, let me see if there's anything else. Oh yeah. Um, I also liked that scene where the Lieutenant or whatever is giving this kind of pep talk, um, to the troops. And then, um, when he mentions that part about how everyone's getting sick and the Vicks vapor rub, um, there's something about that, that mm -hmm. sort of like takes you out of the, um, wrote-ness of, of what we're seeing. And it's like the specificity of, he mentions someone's name and he mentions Vicks Vapor Rob. And it's like, that's what makes a Wiseman documentary almost, where it's like yeah. these mundane specific moments that are allowed to shine through and make us feel like we're privy to something that we almost shouldn't be hearing. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there's just like a, an, an, inherent like absurdity to that when it breaks through mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's um, one of the wiseman touches mm -hmm. it was um you know kind of interesting to be watching maneuver in this moment and actually when i when i first watched it was uh a few weeks ago right when russia was invading and mm. i think it was latvia invoking the nato articles and like right as i'm watching this film about a nato exercise um and i'm curious if you've considered it all you know 40 years down the line it, it'll just be interesting to see how how it would be to watch ascension you know for those audiences <laughs> down the future as as like you know I guess 2019 is kind of a, a flashpoint in time and a document uh, uh, for, for of the past. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I tried to make Ascension, um, even though a lot of it has to do with current trends and what's new about China and the U.S., um, I tried to make it feel more timeless in a way, too, um, so that the film could feel 
um, like it, it could exist at any time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I don't want to forget to ask you uh, about, because it was brought up about this film, uh, Maneuver, is the title sequence, um, which like Wiseman usually starts like the film just like right with the, the title card and then goes into it. And in this film, he starts with like action um, and then uses the title card, which um, I believe you do as well with Ascension. Oh, yeah. um, and um, but like multiple people brought up, brought this up as like some way that like Wiseman is creating a, like a more fictional effect or to like mm. pull us into action without being told like this is the movie. Um, I don't I don't know if you have any thoughts about that or like general like reflection about like using that same technique. Right. Um, hmm. It's so weird. I've never thought consciously about why I did that. <laughs> maybe I was <laughs> maybe that's um unconsciously what I was doing is um allowing an audience to enter into a world first before we kind of see the title card in order to um create this fictional space like you were talking about. Um when he did it in Maneuver I think he does it after they um, get to Germany, right? It's right, like, yeah. So it's sort of like a um, a prologue mm-hmm. that you see. And I think maybe it's a little bit that way with Ascension too, where we feel like we have this prologue scene where we see um, kind of the first level of the... Um, of the social ladder where we see people looking at minimum wage or below minimum wage jobs. Um, and then we have the title and then you're kind of like primed for the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, oh, also was this, did I read correctly? Was this his first collaboration with, um, that camera person that he worked yeah, with? John yeah. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Cause afterwards John has shot all of his other films, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Wiseman, before this, was he shooting himself? No, he was shooting with uh, William Brain. Okay. Um, for uh, most all of the ones preceding this, yeah. Except, except the first two. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, bringing that up, you know, I, I thought Davey kind of announces himself in this film. You know, the, the camera work compared to previous films is very dynamic mm-hmm. and, like... Uh, uh, you know, you get some really interesting shots like under a tank or like a a giant cargo pallet looks like it's about to slam into the lens. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, there are some cool shots like that in Ascension. I'm thinking of like the giant water slide uh, (laughs) scene, you know, that you were on kind of like these dynamic immersive uh, uh, shots um, that that just kind of further situate you in, in this space uh, that were really good. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, well, something that I thought was interesting about how Wiseman directs, and I got to ask him this on Zoom, um, was about why he doesn't shoot his own movies or um, why he prefers to do sound. Maybe that's how I asked it. Um and cause it's because he can direct the camera. He directs the camera with his boom mic. So he'll kind right. of assess in the moment um, 
what he wants to prioritize in terms of shooting. And then he'll, you know, he'll bring his boom mic there and then the cinematographer will follow mm-hmm. instead of the opposite way, which is, is really interesting. And also shows to me that he's kind of, he's prioritizing more the um, the drama between people, the dialogue, the, the conversation that's happening over finding like a great shot, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed, noted that you and Nathan were the, the sound recordists as well as mm-hmm. the cinematographer. So we're, do you just have a, a shotgun set up on your cameras? Or? Well, we did. Yeah, we didn't have like a boom mic or anything like that. Yeah. Um, because I think that that changes the atmosphere, too. Um, mm-hmm. But what we mostly loved people. So oh, we nice. had, yeah, we had love mics and <laughs> um we would kind of talk to people and see who was most comfortable being loved. And then mm-hmm. I would try to stay on that person. But um, mm. oftentimes not. Oftentimes I would kind of wander around and I could still use that. Uh, and we also had PDR mics, which are loves that record onto themselves. So we would mic other people, even if we weren't filming them, just so we had like, you know, a few other tracks mm. of, of dialogue that we could use. Which is part of why you have that disem- those disembodied voices sometimes. Um, what, what was, uh, speaking of sort of like the similarities and dissimilarities, like something that you use is like non-diegetic music. Um, how, how did the relationship with Dan Deacon come about? And what, like, why were you, why did you want to use um, music in that way? Yeah, um, I first saw him as a composer um, in... Theo Anthony's Rat film from 2016, and I really loved what he did with the score. I thought it was so creative and additive to the film because he's not the type of composer who, um, you know, will compose music that's just as an accompaniment or um, as a way to make something go down easier or to make something more entertaining. It's a way to complicate and um, provoke and um yeah and really and really add to to the film rather than as something to smooth it over if that mm-hmm. makes sense um so that i thought that that would be i had never um worked with a score in documentary in that way so i thought it would be an interesting challenge and also he um likes to work with materials in kind of a non-traditional way where we he did have um some guided improv session with strings um which he used but a lot of the material he used was also from factory recordings that Nate and I we gathered all of these um audio recordings from in the field so they were from individual machineries within factories or there's like the bicycle graveyard at the beginning of the the beeping of the broken bicycles um there are the chiming bells of the people at that fancy dinner party scene. And there's these clicking sounds from cryptocurrency mines. And just mm-hmm. taking these raw sounds and he would transcribe them and manipulate them and chop them up into really cool ways and, and make a score from them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the score and the sound design really spoke to one another. But we started working early on together in the process. Like after the first shoot, we sent him some um, early kind of media samples. And Nate had gotten hold of his 
contact info. So we just reached out to him. And this is so random, but he actually had seen Commodity City, a mm. short that I made before that, because mm-hmm. it played at Maryland Film Festival. And he's, you know, local Baltimore. So he happened to see it. So he already had a reference point. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Huh. Um, well, before, uh, I know you got to get out of here, but, uh, did you want to rep for any like Wiseman favorites that you've just like carried around with you? Yes. Um, okay. So what was it that I saw recently, um, hospital mm-hmm. and you know, there's that scene where there's that, um, youngish guy who had just moved art to student. new york yeah the art mescaline. student yeah. And he, yeah he had taken mescaline or something he was like in the in central park and he's like oh what is life what am i doing here anyway and then there's this epic scene where he just projectile vomits everywhere oh my god that was i was i was thinking of that scene during the watermelon eating <laughs> contest yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind I, of thought I, about I, that too actually yeah. Or he's just, like, forced to devour, like, a whole quarter of watermelon, like, faster than he... And just spills out everywhere. Like, yeah. yeah. that immediately brought that to mind for Something me. Something about throwing up in documentary, I don't know. It's just so... You can't control it. It's always good. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on and for talking about Maneuver with us. Of course, yeah. Thanks for having me. This was really fun, and I'm looking forward to listening to the other episodes and you know, watching all of the Wiseman films. It's really about just like making, setting the intention to do it. And then it's, mm-hmm. it's so hard. It, it can be hard to motivate oneself to do it, especially given the run times of some of them. But once I sit down, I never regret it. And I'm always like oh, so yeah, happy sure. that I'm yeah. doing it, but it's just getting myself to start. Do you Probably. hope to, do you hope to make like a two and a half, three and a half hour movie someday? I wanted Ascension to be that long, but my producers mm. talked me out of it. Um, which is, I mean, maybe for the better because then it wouldn't have get, gotten as much attention as it right. did. But I think Wiseman, I mean, something that's so cool about him too is that he doesn't seem to care about that. Yeah. He And he's so, he's not like super precious with his films either. He just makes one and then he immediately starts another one and he has to keep doing it. And, you know, he feels sad if he's not working on a film. And it's just, it's about the process for him, which I really yeah. admire that. Right yeah. yeah, thanks so much. Okay, thank you guys. Um, good to see you. First reading from the book of Sirach, Simpson. Should a man refuse mercy to his fellows, yet seek pardon for his own sins? If he who is but flesh cherishes wrath, who will forgive his sins? Remember your last days, set enmity aside. Remember death and decay, and cease from sin. Think of the commandments, hate not your neighbor, of the most highest covenants and overlooked faults. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Lamb of God, you take Thank away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace.